Um, some of you that were here Wednesday, you're going to hear some of the same things, and I built on that and added kind of a chapter two to it. Um, so we will see how this goes. Um, for those people uh, that weren't here, I was talking about an embarrassing situation that happened to me a couple weeks ago. Uh, I was working out and got out and was finishing up with a, uh, a nice jog in my um, subdivision. And I've jogged that subdivision, I don't know how many years now. I've lived there for eight, so hundreds and hundreds of times. And I'm just moving along, doing my thing. I'm tired. And before I know it, the front of my shoe catches a piece of the um, sidewalk where it was obviously about an inch higher than the rest. And I'm, I'm in a full forward movement. And thankfully, I catch myself and don't fall to the ground. But uh, you want to talk about looking awkward and being embarrassed. And I was thankful there were not... Uh, people that I thought saw me out there doing this. Um, But as I was going, and then I just, you know, gathered my steps and kept going, and I thought to myself as I was moving, what in the world just happened? And I think that uh, what it came down to was I found myself being a little bit lazy, getting tired, feeling comfortable in my surroundings, and I wasn't watching where I was going. And that can happen to us in a lot of different ways. And when we look at things in our life, the, the big things are the easy things. If I had seen construction or I'd seen a pretty good-sized dog with somebody having on a leash and I did not know that dog, I'd go to the other side of the street. But it's those little things that we're not looking out for that can cause big problems later on. So looking at that, not only in a physical sense of taking care of yourself, I thought, how would this apply to us as Christians? So going back and repeating what Scott read for us, it says, Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. Again, when you look at those big things in life, we we don't have a problem avoiding those. Um, And the first part of this is a lot of what I did Wednesday, and it's geared more toward our young people, but we can still get something from it, I'm sure all of us, and the second half is more toward um, adulthood. So what are the things we need to be aware of? Uh, number one is our surroundings, where we are, where we're going, who we're associating with, and what kind of things we're doing and who we're doing them with. I have a question for you. Do you think anybody, the first time they tried a drug, had the, act, the, the, the thought process in their mind that they were going to ruin their lives with addiction, that they were again going to jail or getting in legal problems or they were going to ruin their marriage or their family or anything else, their career. And what they would say was, you know, a lot of their future. But it all started with one decision. And obviously it was not a good one. The one way that I can guarantee none of us will ever get addicted to something is not to try it the first time. That's the only way you can guarantee it, and it's 100% proven. So now we have to look at what we do in our lives. Young people, you've got all kinds of stuff when you're looking at things on TV, the Internet. You've got these apps. You've got all these things that you can get on on your phone. And uh, the thing that's so uh, disturbing is I'm seeing things on TV where some of these sites are basically just gossip sites or trashing people sites. And here's teenagers saying horrible things to other teenagers and Um, you know, accusing them of things or saying they wish they would die, all kinds of just horrible things. And some of these kids have taken their lives. So, again, something that started very innocently that you want to get involved with or start looking at can affect you in a very, very negative way. So when you're thinking about not only what you're associating with but who you're associating with, 
Let's go to 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 6, verse 4. And it's, Be ye not unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? You're talking about opposites. You're talking about things that should not fit together. And we should be thinking about that the same way. Another thing is, there was a quote that I remember from a video that I showed to our eighth graders when I was uh, teaching uh, years ago at a middle school. And the video was, was in our health class, and it said, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. And that stuck in my head uh, because a lot of our kids at certain dif- different ages are really, really searching. And they may grow up knowing someone. And then you see a point where one of them starts to move in one direction and one starts moving in the other. And sometimes you'll have that kid that's really trying to do what's right, and he's still hanging out with that other one. And you ask him, what are you doing? I mean, I'm not trying to be a jerk, but why are you hanging out with him? He's always in trouble. He's always doing this. He's doing that. He's always in the office. He's my friend. And I said, well, buddy, I got news for you. One of you is going to change. Either you're going to change or he's going to change. Because if you keep this course at some point, somebody's going to make a difference. And hopefully it's not going to be you. The other thing, too, that I think that we need to remember is there really is no such thing as as an innocent mistake. It's a decision. Now, we may do it not thinking about what we're doing, but we still made that decision, and it can have ramifications. And a lot of those can be very, very, very serious. You think about somebody, you know, going back to the drug issue. If somebody was at a party and somebody said, hey, try this, you just take it and put it in your mouth or take a drink of it or whatever else you're doing, I mean, we got to think about these things. When I was coaching college ball, I remember I would always talk to my freshman players, and I would tell them, if you hear one thing from me about class, hear this loud and clear. Obviously, we want you to pay attention, be respectful, all that kind of stuff, and learn. Don't miss your first class. Do not skip that first class. And they look at you and say, well, what do you mean? And I said, you're kind of scared to miss that first class. You're thinking, I don't know if this is a good idea, but you know what? The sun comes up the next day. And you go, that wasn't so bad. Before you know it, you're skipping two classes, three classes. All of a sudden, three or four weeks have gone by, and you've been to class once or twice. Now you've got a decision to make. Am I going to buckle down and just try to kill myself getting back up to speed, which at that level, depending on where you're going to school, is not going to be easy? Or are you going to drop the class? Now, dropping the class is the easy thing to do, but now you just threw away some money and an opportunity. And mom and dad, I told them, are not paying for your education so that you can sleep in and play video games or whatever else you're doing. You know, you've you got to think about these things. And again, going back to that, that started with one small decision, so, so to speak, but it just multiplied and multiplied to the point that you've got a problem. Another saying I got from one of the coaches I worked with years ago was that small holes sink big ships. Those little things that go unnoticed. You look at it and you say, well, it's just a little this or that. There's a crack here or a crack there, and you let them go because you figure everything's going to be all right. They get bigger. They take on water. They cause rust problems inside that, that hull of the ship, and before you know it, you've got a huge problem on your hands. So, again, we've got to be alert. We've got to think about our walk, our jog, or our race because we're supposed to be doing all of those at different times in our lives. We've got to be careful that if we do fall, that we get back up, and that if we stub our toe, it doesn't turn into a bigger problem, that we learn from it and move on. 
We need to have good habits. Some of the habits that we're aware of, but we all need to be reminded of, is we need to get in our Bibles and we need to study. We need to make habits. Habits are things that we form that each and every day we do or we find a time that we do or things don't feel right in our routine. You get up in the morning if you eat your breakfast a certain way or you you, you get ready a certain way. If you're off that schedule, it does not feel right. So we've got to make good habits that we do that way so that that isn't an issue. That is something that's in our schedule and fits in, and we've got it. And I remember uh, Wellington saying years ago that when he gets a new calendar every year, he he X's out Sunday and Wednesday because those days are taken. He will have no appointments. He's not going to do anything but what the Lord wants him to do on those two days. Well, that's a habit, and that's a good habit to have. So looking at this, the, the other things to do, okay, obviously study. We look at praying. Praying isn't something that we should do just when we go to bed at night. Praying isn't something we should just do at our meals. We can do it in the morning. We can do it at night. That's five times. There's nothing that says you can't pray five seconds or five minutes. We can do whatever we want when we want. When a time comes up because we need to constantly be in touch with our Lord. We need to be thinking about what we can do to stay because that keeps us focused. That keeps us centered. Keeps us thinking about what's important. One of the biggest things we need to do, though, is we we don't need to be afraid to say no. And that's a tough word, especially as a young person, because you want to fit in. You want to think, hey, this person's my friend, or this, and they're just asking me to do this. Um, One of the other things I always told the kids at school at any level, I said, if somebody tells you or says, hey, let's go do this, and the first thing that pops in your head is, would mom and dad want me to do this? If that pops into your head, don't do it. Because if it's any question at all, You'd be crazy to go ahead and do it because the chances are it's not something that you need to be involved in. Another quote that I got from a coach years ago was, the hardest thing to do is usually the right thing to do. So when we think about what we're doing, especially at a young age, man, oh, man, you see somebody getting picked on in school, you see something going wrong, you see that you want to join in a conversation, you want to see that if you say something that it may alienate you, but you know it's the right thing to do. You've got to make those decisions. And that's where we find out what we're made of character-wise. And those kind of things run into us as adults, too. Next thing I want to say is we need to be responsible for our actions. I wish I had a dime for every parent that one of their kids got in trouble and they would come to us and they would say, well, Coach, he's running with a bad crowd. And I thought if you took every parent into a separate room and ask them, every one of them would say the same thing. So if these are all good kids making good decisions, why are they all in trouble? Because none of them are being responsible for their own actions. You've got to think about what you're doing. Now, if you're in AA or any kind of a addiction situation, they'll tell you the first step you have to take is admitting you have a problem. Well, whether you have an addiction or not, The best way to make sure you can fix something in your life if it's not good is accept that you did it and accept that it was your own responsibility. And that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to look in the mirror and be honest with ourselves and say, okay, Jeff, you messed up. Now what are you going to do about it? That's what it comes down to. And once you do that, you've got an opportunity to attack the problem. But if I never admit anything's my problem, I'm never going to think there's anything wrong to change. Now, I'd like to focus on the adult side of some of this stuff. And again, obviously, we can still fall into those same kind of 
traps just maybe on an adult level rather than maybe in a middle school level or high school or something of that nature. You think about it when you, when you get a little older and you, you start your jobs, things like that. You know, there's jobs, there's money, there's prestige. These are little things that can kind of grow on you and kind of get inside of you. As a young person and you get your first job, you want to impress your boss. You want to do a great job. You want to you want to fit in in the sense that, you know, you don't necessarily see that as a bad thing. You want everybody to think, hey, this is a pretty good guy. We're glad he's part of our team. But then before you know it, words start coming up. Promotions. Raises. People start massaging your ego saying, you know, you ought to be the one doing that. You should have gotten this. I can't believe you got passed over for him. She got the promotion. She got the raise. Why aren't you getting a raise? Man, you're working hard. And pretty soon... Some of that self-pride comes in, that envy, that jealousy. And you can have situations where it can ruin your job, can ruin your relationships. And then you find yourself more consumed with getting ahead than doing the job you were doing in the first place, enjoying your job. Because now you're fighting the rat race instead of just doing what you thought you wanted to do in the first place. Matthew 6.33 says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Now, he wasn't saying that if you do my will, you're going to get the raise, you're going to get the job, you're going to get the promotion, you're going to get all that. But what he's saying is, I'll provide for you what you need, and you're going to be taken care of. But you need to do the right things. And this is a phrase that kind of comes off as kind of, I don't know, kind of rude to some people, but I want to look at it a couple different ways. But in my opinion, God is saying to these people that are worried about that stuff, who cares? Who cares? Who cares about the promotion? Who cares about this and that? Do your job. Do your best. Do, do what I'm supposed to, I want you to do. Another quote that I heard years ago or saw on the wall, actually, in a doctor's office said, he who dies with the most toys still dies. So you think about that, again, who cares? You're laying six feet under. It's not yours. And you think into the New Testament of the story about the man that was wealthy and he had all that debt grain and he decided well I'm going to go ahead and build some bigger storage areas and all this and he thought man this is great I'm just going to sit back and have it made and the Lord came that night and said you fool who's going to have all your wealth now it's over so that's something for us to consider also I got two different scenarios for you and I think you can add those words to the end of this if you're praised by the world because of your wealth and all your accomplishments, but you end up in hell, who cares? If the world hates you, if the world doesn't remember you, or if the world talks absolute horrible things about you, but you end up going to heaven, that person's going to say, who cares? It doesn't matter to me anymore. Austin had a statement he said about a year ago in our class that he had heard, and I liked it a lot, about keeping up with the Joneses. And I'm paraphrasing, so if I say this wrong, you have every right in the world to correct me. He said, basically, you're buying stuff you don't need with money you don't have to impress people you don't like. And I thought, wow, that stuck in my head. So basically, in my opinion, you're letting people that you really could care less about control your life. They're setting the tone for you. They're telling you what you need to do. Again, we shouldn't care about that. I can remember as a young coach, 
I justified working on Sundays and on Wednesday nights because I said, man, God wants me to be the best coach I can be, and that's how I'm going to glorify him. And that was a very, very bad decision on my part because the simple matter is, is that God wants me to be the best I can be, but not the expense of my salvation and not by putting something ahead of him. All you need to do is go back to Exodus 20, verse 5, and 34 and 14, where it states that God is a jealous God. He wants to be first. He deserves to be first. He's given us everything. And it took me about a year or two years to figure that out, and I'm glad that I did. But that was a very bad decision on my part, and I'm glad it it changed. Looking at a a real sad situation that I had at some of the, I've been fortunate to be at a lot of different high schools, some private schools, and two of those were very, very wealthy schools. And one of the saddest things I can tell you is that most, I would say there were more parents that missed games and spending time with their kids from those affluent schools than any of the other schools. They were chasing that buck. They were chasing that promotion. They were chasing that opportunity. And uh, it just kind of makes me sad, and I can think of some of these parents using these words because we've heard them before while I'm trying to give my kid what I didn't have. And I want to answer them and say, you mean you didn't have a father? You didn't have somebody you can count on? You didn't have somebody you could talk to and spend time with? What exactly are you trying to give your kid that you didn't have? And I think if you polled 100 kids, you'd get 100 of the same answers. Which would you rather have, money or your parents? They want mom and dad. They want them to be there. It, it amazes me. Caitlin will be away from her mom and dad for two days. We take her back. She, she'd be screaming, yelling, jumping into their arms because she missed them. I mean, it's, it's, it's neat. But, again, it's something that you've got to think about. I want to pull uh, both of these together in another story. Um, A couple weeks ago, we talked about the poem, The Race, which was about a young boy that wanted to run a race against other boys and make his dad proud, and he wanted to win that race. And the problem was, in the poem, he falls down a bunch of times because he's trying to do his best. But at the same time, he keeps looking back into that crowd, and he sees his dad. And he knows his dad is there, and he keeps getting back up. And as it goes along, he finally does finish the race. And he's very disappointed that he didn't win, but his dad tells him, I'm proud of you. You did win because you got up every time you fell down. So we can look at this a couple different ways. First of all, dad didn't want him to win the race against the other kids. That wasn't the point. Dad wanted him to win his race. He didn't want him fighting the Joneses. He didn't want him battling them. He wanted to make sure that that young man did the very best he could do. And that's where he he wanted him to get the glory. The other question I have for you is, how do you think that young man would have raced if his father wasn't there? Would he have quit? Would he have given up? Would he have fallen down that first time, heard the crowd laugh, and just drag himself off of there and go home? Not say another word about it. The influence of that parent had to be tremendous in that poem. So those are things we need to think about as a parent or as someone that's supporting younger people. Each of us has a race within ourselves, and we should be focused on that. 
and again, not becoming involved with, with racing against the Joneses or whoever else we're talking about in our lives. Now, going back to the, the earlier situation of neglecting kids, we may say, well, you know, things that doesn't really apply to me. Either I'm not a parent or I've, my kids are grown up and everything was great or it's great right now. But could you substitute God in place of that word kids? Could you look at it and can Jeff say to himself, you know what, I've made excuses not to spend my time studying, not to spend my time doing what I need to do. No, I don't have kids, but you know what, God wants me to have a relationship with him like he wants to have with me. And I need to remember that. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, Paul is encouraging the church of Corinth on how they should live. And I thought this was, had to read it a few times and let it sink in, but it says, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold we live, as chastened and not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing and yet possessing all things. The first half of that is how the world looks at things and sees us, and the second half is what God's providing for us out of each one of those statements. We couldn't have more wealth than we have if we're in Christ. We couldn't rejoice more if we're worthy to be persecuted for his sake. We look at some of those other ones. They all fit like a glove when we look at what God wants for us. Another saying I'm sure we've all heard is, you know, 100 years from now, none of this is ever going to matter. And what they're talking about is the stuff that we're doing, the stuff that's going on around us. So many things seem important today, but in the long run, they really don't matter. In other words, again, who cares? Who cares if I got a raise? Who cares what kind of new car I got? Who cares what I'm involved in other than doing the Lord's work? And again, that doesn't mean necessarily a bad thing. It just don't make it a bigger deal than it needs to be. But I, but I do have something that I can say about who cares with a question mark at the end. God cares. He cares what I do. He cares what you do. He cares with what I do, what I don't do, what I say and what I don't say, who I'm involved in and how I'm showing my obedience to him each and every day. And many of those things cannot be measured by the world. But God knows. Again, when we look at unknown as as opposed to known, that's what it's hitting on in those two verses, is that we, we can't measure that. We can't tell somebody, well, I prayed to God six times today or seven times. They look at you like, what are you talking about? You know, they want to know what you've done something they can see, something they can touch, something they can count. So God does care, and he, he also cared enough that he sent his only son to die on the cross to give us a chance at everlasting life. That opportunity is greater than anything we'll ever have on this earth. And at this time, if you'd like to learn more about that, or if you have any needs, we hope that you will come forward as we stand and sing.